heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. And we are live, folks. This is episode number 76 of YWC Football Talk. I'm going to put myself in the full screen for a second just so you guys can get the full. I can, it's, just, it's just easier for me. Let's, let's just do that. It's easier for me. Um, but welcoming to today's podcast, guys, you've seen before Pat Lane on here. You've seen Ryan Spagnoli, but this is the third member of the Pat, of Pat's pulpit of SB Nation. Zoom at, celebrating Zoomass's big win from Hockey East Championship. Keegan Steifel. Keegan, welcome to the podcast. How are we feeling today? Thanks for having me. Um, very excited about, about our, um, our Hockey East Championship, first one in program history. Um, I'm not going to say that I did it by coming to the school and, and, and turning things around, but, you know, that's what happens. We, I come and they, and they go to the, the national championship game. COVID ruined everything last year, but we're back on top. We're ready to go go win a national championship. That's all it's about at the end of the day, seeing if you guys can knock off. Well, I'm going to assume UMD will be there in some capacity. Um, but anyway, we're not but anyway, we're not here to talk football. Uh, I was supposed to say we're not here to talk football. That would have been a really bad error. We're not here to talk hockey. We're here to talk football. Because for those of you guys that don't know, like you said, he works for Pat's Paul, but he's wearing a Sox hat. If you haven't guessed by now, yes, Keegan is a New England Patriots fan like myself. Um, but, man, I can't I, – who saw this coming, like this whole free agent spending? It's uh, – no one, first of all. I don't think anybody did. I think everybody expected – you know, we talked a lot about the one splash signing, just like the, the Stephon Gilmores and the Darrell Revises of, of past years. Maybe, maybe they're going to go throw some money at somebody and, and try to upgrade one of the, the, the big needs on the team, but they just decided to upgrade every need on the team, not once, but twice at tight end and at receiver and at linebacker and defensive linemen. They're, they threw bags at just about everybody possible, and I, I think they're looking to compete this year. Oh, same, same here. I think they're looking to compete. I think, you know what, um, actually, before you and I came on to do this um, – I saw a bunch of Patriot reporters uh, were tweeting out the workout video that just happened today, which I got to watch a little bit of it. I'm going to watch it later. But like Jared Stidham, Jacoby Myers, uh, Kendrick Bourne, Hunter Henry, um, who was also there, Matt Lacoste, and Wil- uh, Wilkinson, can get his first name, though. And also Devin Asiasi. And like those guys are already there working in California. Paid Pats West, we're calling it. Like I'm watching this, like, God damn, the season's still five months away. I want to, like, if there was football, if they came out of nowhere and said, hey, Patriots, they're going to play a game on Wednesday night, I'll be like, all right, cool, I'm there. Yeah, I missed the XFL because it was we had we had spring football. We had something to look forward to after the NFL season, but we're missing that this year. Yeah, I'm excited for the season to get started. It's going to be a long summer. Training camp's going to be a grind, not just for the players, but for everybody following along. Because you know, with all the additions they made, this is a competitive roster. They're, they're going to have competitions at a lot of spots. Are going to be a lot of of guys cut who probably could make other teams. So it's. Unlike last year where we kind of knew everybody that was going to make the roster, this year it's it's up in the air. Who knows, you know, uh, who's going to end up making the final cut. Exactly. And also, too, for everybody out there saying, like, oh, like I saw a tweet today. It was um, from Doug, Doug Kyatt, and that's in basically he was like, I think someone retweeted him saying, like, oh, this isn't Brady and Moss. It's like no one's saying this is Brady and Moss. Like, look, 
obviously now it's like, Hey, look, we made, we made the bed. Now we have to go lay in it. So it's like, now it's just up to the players and Belichick to go out there and execute. But I think Belichick got the guys he wanted to. You heard Jalen Mills say that in his press conference today. Bill wanted me here. Bill's going to get the players he wants. Like some people look at it like, Hmm, like we spent the money. Yes. But at the same time too, Belichick got his guys. And that's what I trust the most. Yeah. He, so I think he's preached, you know, versatility and athleticism and all of his draft picks and, and, and the people that he's added to the roster kind of, that's where the NFL is going They're They need versatile players and they need athletic players kind of to, to fill multiple roles. You've only got 53 guys on the team. So I think those are the two things that he's looking for. And when he's adding players and across the board, all of those guys are versatile and athletic. Jalen Mills can play every DB spot. Um, John U. Smith can, he, he's a tight end, but he can run the ball out of the backfield. Hunter Henry spent most of his time in the slot. Like all these guys can do multiple things and they're multifaceted and they, they've all got um, kind of the extra gear to, to, to contribute a little bit more than, than maybe other people will. So I think he, he built this team with a vision in mind and he's still building this team. You know, we still have months to go until training camp starts. So he's building this team with, with a specific vision. And I, I think he's, he's gotten the opportunity to, to, to do it the way he wants to do it. Exactly. And also, so I love all the fans are saying like, Oh, they're still chasing Buffalo. It's like, yeah, no Patriots fan has come out and said, Oh yeah, we're back running the East. Like it's our division. No, like obviously we know Buffalo is going to be the head dogs going into the year. We'll see what Miami's like, but I haven't liked some of their moves in free agency because, like, they haven't like obviously like they got Will Fuller, they got Skura, but we know firsthand Skura is not the best center in the league. But on that note, the probably my favorite signing of the last week was David Andrews staying. Yeah, he. It, I feel like a, a lot of a piece of a lot of us died when we we kind of thought he was on the way out. You know, they re-signed Ted Karras after a year in Miami, and it was like, oh dang. David Andrews should have retired a Patriot. And then all of a sudden, Bill Belichick, like, he is going to retire a Patriot. Here's four years. Let's throw 30 million at him. Like, he's, it's kind of like somebody, like, you know, who are you and what did you do to Bill Belichick? Why are you giving all these people all this money? But I don't think uh, any of us are ones to complain now. We're, we're getting to see something that we've never been able to see before. We've never seen him just throw money at people like he's doing. And um, throw money is probably not the, the best way of putting it because I, he, he's got, something in mind he's not just doing it willy-nilly but what was that bro guaranteed money oh yeah a lot of guaranteed but i mean again in the specifics of the contracts like there's a lot there's a lot of back channels that they've gone down and how to maneuver the cap a little bit you know all these teams know how to do that stuff but with the andrew signing specifically i think a lot of people were not happy that they went with ted karras and then phil belichick said ah we'll go with both of them why not both Exactly. It's like one of those things. It's like the uh, Seinfeld episode, more everything, more everything. Like, yeah, why not? Like, sure, we'll take it. Like, no one's, no one here is really uh, mad about it or no one here is really complaining. So it's like, yeah, screw it. Um, but I always say the David Andrews thing, just obviously, too, like you've heard people say, like, he just seems like a guy who's going to be here his career. He was like, because the thing I was getting at, my, my words are all over the place, but you need, for as much as you need on-field leadership, it's off-field leadership and camaraderie that really help build a great football team. A lot of people kind of look at that and go, whatever. Like, that's a big reason why I think Cam's back is because of who he was in the locker room and his work ethic. Yeah, absolutely. I I agree with that 100%. When they built the original team kind of to compete after his first year in New England, Belichick, yeah. they, 
they got a ton of guys who are veterans and respected in the locker rooms that they were coming from, like Anthony Pleasant and Roman Pfeiffer and, and Mike Vrabel. Like all these guys were, they all ended up playing kind of the same position, but all of these guys were respected veterans who knew what it took to play in the NFL and, and to stay in the NFL. And I think that's, it's not exactly the same idea that they've gone with this year, but you know, re-signing Cam, they know damn well everybody in that locker room respects him. And and signing these guys uh, who not only are, you know, very good football players, but guys who are respected, guys who not not all like first-round picks, former first-round picks, guys who like John o. Smith was picked in the fifth round, Jalen Mills in the sixth round, who worked their way up into becoming integral parts of the teams that they came from. So that's that's always what he's looked for, and I think he, he went – crazy this year and just if, if you fit the mold of a Belichick signing he was going to sign you this year no matter whatever it took Roddy Harrison is another great example too because um the one thing I've, I've preached this on this podcast before but for Christmas my mom gave me a book called the dynasty by Jeff Benedict and I've been reading that thing I'm almost at the end of it but and I'll preach this till I die if you're a Patriots fan you gotta read that book you'll learn so much more about the team just just by reading the book yeah I um I actually bought it I think I bought it the release weekend and I read it in probably two weeks in the summer. Like I, I flew through it. I had nothing to do. So I flew through that book and it's a lot. It's a, he did a good job of compiling information that you could find elsewhere, but putting it all in one place to where you could get all of these stories, you know, in one read, it's a phenomenal book. It's great. I ended up tweeting uh, an excerpt excerpt from it when uh, Bill Belichick after their, I think it was the third Super Bowl win. No, it was actually, actually after the second one, Tom Jackson, who said on ESPN that the Patriots hated their coach, uh, said, congratulations, Bill. And Belichick turned around and said, go fuck yourself. <laughs> so, I laughed so hard when I was reading that book. Yeah, I, tweet, I tweeted that out, and Barstool actually stole it from me. So I've got some words to with Barstool. But, uh, yeah, that's I think that's the best part of that book. But that's kind of the guy that you get with Bill Belichick. If you cross him, then there's, there's no coming back from it. And even too, just like you see the work ethic that's installed. Like I just want to go to Rodney Harrison, even to Corey Dillon's another example, like guys who, you know, were on teams that may have not been the best or weren't exactly winning caliber. See, recognizes that and then says like, Hey, uh, come, come play for me. Like Bill, like Rodney, like even too, like as soon as like those rumors with Hunter Henry, I was like, when I'll be honest with you with the Henry signing, when John Smith signed, I was like, you know what? I'll be cool. If we don't get Henry, we got Smith. When we got that, I'm like, you know what? Hey, it's like uh, if you get a buy one, get one free sale. It's like, all right, cool. Yeah, I'll take them. Why not? Sure. But um, the photo of the two of them hugging after, I believe, the 2018 divisional round and the game this year in L.A., I'm just like, Bill likes this guy. Like, Bill doesn't usually ex- like talk to former players like that. And even to find out, he's been scouting him since high school. Yeah, you see the, like, you see the quotes. The, uh, what was it? He, you know, he he's a phenomenal player. He does everything well. He can... He can line up here. He can line up there. Talking about his high school coach, like he, he has a great high school coach. Like, yeah. I, I think Bill, Belichick, people will say that he doesn't do that about people, but there, there are a few where he, he falls in love with these players and he'll do like whatever it takes to get them on his team. So uh, Hunter Henry's just the next in line of one of those guys who Belichick falls in love with and he needs him. The tea party is back. I used to coin that phrase so much between 2010 and 2012. And then unfortunately all the events, I don't want to go into it too much, but it kind of unraveled, but that I'm not saying that Smith and uh, Henry are going to come in and be Gronk and Hernandez, but you know what? 
there's going to see, you're going to see a lot of two tight end sets and they're going to make a lot of Patriot fans happy. But the one thing I keep saying is, man, these guys in fantasy are either going to hit or people are just going to be mad about them. I'm going to be in tweet. Why are they not doing good fantasy? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just a fan. Yeah. They're going to like, each of them are going to catch like 60 balls and they're probably going to go for like 800 yards and four touchdowns. And everybody's going to be like, Oh, they, they suck. They're not as good as they were on fantasy last year. But if you put it together, the team's getting like 1800 yards out of these guys and, and, 10 touchdowns and like the teams, the team's fine. They don't care about your fantasy football team. Exactly. That's what I'm here. Like, I'm, I don't care about your fantasy league. If you want to be a tight end, you should have gone Kelsey. Like don't, don't blame me. Um, the one thing I want to get into is the receiver room quickly. Cause obviously we didn't get like the big fish, but we got guys who are versatile and we'll obviously we learned last year, Jacoby Myers, great receiver, but he's not a wide receiver one. I feel like born and Aguilar are just going to help my, like, Say, for example, I can see a game, like, say, where those two don't play well, like, or they don't get a lot of catches because they're well covered, but Meyer shines. Because I think you'll see that kind of pop more. Like, Borden and Aguilar are still going to be great receivers for this team, I feel. But I feel like with the two of them taking most of the workload off, it's going to take a lot of pressure off guys like Myers and even, too, Nikhil Harry, if, if he's still around. Yeah, it's – I think the the way they, they're building the receiver room is – taking the load off of everybody, not putting all of the responsibility on them, but giving everybody kind of a little bit of responsibility and, and a specific role in the offense. Um, and when I say specific role, not like here, you're the Z receiver and this is what you're going to do. The specific role is, Hey, you're going to go out here. You're going to know how to do a little bit of everything, but in these scenarios, this, these situations, this is when you're going to play, you know, like when we're in the red zone, that's when that's Kendrick Bourne's time to shine. He would use a great red zone receiver, Nikhil Harry, if he's still around a great red zone receiver that they never really have used in the red zone for some odd reason. Nelson Aguilar, when, when we're taking that second down shot on, on second and two, you know, Nelson Aguilar is going to go run a go route and hopefully they hit on it. You know, they, they're all going to have specific roles and they've, they've won in like with that kind of receiver room before, you know, those, that like 14 team didn't really have a number one receiver. Like, like, I guess you could call Edelman a number one receiver, but when your number one receiver is a slot guy, that's not really number one receiver. So, you know, Brandon LaFell was on the outside and Danny, Danny Amendola, like we love them in new England. And, and we, we grew up watching these guys and, or, or we watched them, you know, even as adults and we're like, these guys are great, but they're not number one receivers. So it's the same, same situation. They're, they're just getting people to come in and, and play their role. Well, that, that, that's all they're really doing. Just do your job. Like that's the one thing to say. Cause even Joe, as soon as you're saying 14, I'm like right away. I don't know why they call him that, but JoJo LaFell, like, just like, yeah. guys, like, like you said, him there too. And even too, like with the running back room, like I was already thinking about that. And like, I, I, part of me thinks like, Hey, it'd be nice to have James White back, but I feel like I wouldn't be shocked if he signs elsewhere. But at the same time too, from what I saw from last year, I would be okay if Harris was the main guy. Yeah. I think he's like far and away the best running back in the room, like early down back. Um, but when, whenever they've been successful, they've always had great running back rooms. They've always had, you know, two, they've always been two or three deep. Um, you know, if, if you go back, like we talked about 14, they had Blunt, who was kind of the bell cow back. Um, they had Jonas Gray come in for a couple games and he was the bell cow when Blunt was down. Shane Vereen. Yeah. <laughs> and then he missed practice and then his, like never played a game again, but Shane Vereen was a great third down back. Um, played that role well and and uh something that i wrote a little while ago for pat's pulpit is just talking about how they develop talent 
through their stars. You know, they, they don't just draft these guys and expect them to play right away. They, they draft them and they, they let them learn behind guys who are either getting older or their contracts are running out. Like they've done with the third down rule. It was white. And then before him, it was Lewis before him. It was, you know, whoever Vereen before him, it was Woodhead all the way back to Kevin Falk. Like that, that role has been filled in new England forever. Hello. My roommate's coming in. Come on in. All good. Um, like even too, yeah, like I could see a world where it's like Harris gets the bulk of the carries and then Burkhead's like your short distance, like the short down, like say, for example, like that third and two run, kind of like what we see in Minnesota with Dalvin Cook and Alexander Mattinson, where Mattinson will get like the kind of like those short yardage runs and then you can kind of convert. We saw this in the Jet game, which I always say kind of like I liked it, but I hated it in the sense of like, where was this two months ago? But where Sony really showed his role of how he can receive out of the back. So if you need that third down running back, where you need someone to make a passing play like you can rely on Sony to catch the ball. Like, so I, for the first time in a while, I'm not confident, but I just feel like, you know what? The running back room, it just changes each year, but I feel good about the room that we got. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised even, you know, not like specific roles or whatever, but I think Michelle and Harris both getting 10 to 12 carries a game, you know, like splitting their time, give one a series, give the other one, you know, the next series um, kind of, like if one series gets the first, you know, the, the two early downs, then you bring the second one on for the third down roll. JJ Taylor coming in, you know, there, you can't really expect a ton out of him. He was an undrafted free agent, but he had a better rookie year than James White did. If anybody remembers James White in 2014, everybody thought that was a bust of a pick. They were like, geez, this, this James White kid stinks. So, you know, JJ Taylor had a pretty good rookie season, especially for a guy who didn't make the initial roster. He, had to wait for cut downs and, and people getting put on IR. Then he jumped back in. So I think they're pretty well set up. Brandon Bolden, whenever he's been asked to play that third down role, has been more than okay. Like if people think of him as a special teamer. He's a pretty damn good third down back. So they've got those four in the room. I assume that they get another one in the draft, you know, to to really take over that third down role. Um, a Demetric Felton type, you know, the Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis. Kind of those two guys are – leaders of the pack but i think that's where they're headed in that direction but they're they're going to be fine at the running back position yeah exactly and i have no concerns with the running back i also have no concerns about the offensive line even though they trade marcus cannon like like david andrews might like i like i think i see the world where it's like david andrews and then i could see ted Karras potentially getting a guard spot but i feel like he's going to be a second like i told you last week he's a four million dollar insurance policy as of now but look we'll see what happens with michael Owenu, trent brown being back obviously a lot of people like took it as all whatever but i'm like look we got a set we gave up nothing to get him so it's just like look if it works out great if it doesn't work out he'll be on a new team next year um then also michael Owenu, who at the time a lot of people like at, at the 2020 draft if you had said this guy's gonna be first team all rookie and he'd be a first round pick in remox i don't think anyone would have believed you but he came in and he did his job and then also to uh shaq mason and then isaiah win like this this offensive line that's i always said this the offensive line in 2020 was such a big reason why this team won seven games. Yeah, that like across the board, the first five are very good. You'd you'd you'd, you'd be hard pressed to find a better one in the NFL. If we're being honest, the two tackles, as, as much of an injury history as they have, when they're on the field, they're the best of the best. And on when it was like you said, all rookie guy, David Andrews is the leader of that offensive line, and Shaq Mason the best thing you could say about an offensive lineman is you never hear their name called. And that's Shaq Mason. No one ever says anything bad. No one ever says anything good. He's kind of just out there and does his job. So the starting five is great. They've got a little bit of depth. Uh, 
Justin Heron, who was thrown to the Wolves last year, like whenever he got put in, it was because somebody was hurt and he was the fourth tackle on the depth chart, played extremely well, especially for a guy who was drafted in the sixth round. Ted Karras is the best insurance policy in, in the game right now for interior offensive linemen, especially at four million bucks. So um, we'll see if Yadni Kajust, who's headed into his third year, he's never played a snap. We'll see if that shakes out. It's a uh, it's not likely at this point. I wouldn't, you know, put any chips on it, but I think their depth is fine, but they'll, they'll add a little bit of depth through the draft, but that front five, the, the guys they're going to be rolling out week in and week out in a, in a perfect world are one of the best groups in the NFL. Exactly. The only groups I could see being better potentially are like Tampa, Indianapolis, uh, LA chargers. Now um, that's just another world. I can't believe they got Lindsley. Um, and what was I going to say about the offensive line? I love what you said about Mason. It's kind of like – it's a hockey metaphor I just recently heard and I've started believing that it's like when you someone scores a goal, you do not want to be the guy on the team that just got scored who the camera goes to. So it's mm-hmm. the same thing with offensive linemen where, you know what, if like Shaq Mason, it's like, oh, yeah, what uh, we don't really hear much from him. It's like he's doing his job. Like he, That's actually a good thing if the guy's kind of quiet. It's like, hey, he's going along. He's just doing his thing. Yeah, it – I had a, a series at Pat's Pulpit last year, the Unsung Heroes, and it was like he was on that group every week. It just another week of Shaq Mason, no sacks, no quarterback pressures. He had a pancake block, and they ran to his side and scored three times. Like, you know, no, they're never going to say his name on the broadcast, but that's a good thing, you know, that he's that means he played a phenomenal game if they don't see his name. And the hockey analogy is perfect. You know, when the quarterback gets sacked, the next guy that you see, you don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the – he came through the A-gap. That's the center's fault. Like, look look at him walk back to the huddle all sad. You know, like, that's – you don't want to be that guy. Exactly. Like, I looked at a lot of the – I was actually watching a lot of film. Like, just not, when I say film, I'm not watching the All-22. Like, I don't know how to get access to that. I don't know how you get access to that. I just go on YouTube and watch, like, the full, like, 15-minute highlight clips the NFL does. And it'll all um, the game. Sorry. Of- I, I was just going to say, uh, NFL Game Pass, it's oh, expensive. Okay. But you get all 22. True. Um, now I know. But um, so I just go on YouTube and it's like, look, there's a 15-minute highlight packs there. And, like, I see a lot of the plays where either Cam trips or get sacked. It was more or less, like, guys like a Luminor. And then there was other guys. Like, you never saw Andrews get, like, really get past it by. Like, sometimes it was win. Sometimes you'd see certain linemen where it's kind of like they give up on their assignments. But for a lot of the time, they were solid. Like I said, for this team to go 7-9 and nine for as bad as they were, if this was any other coach or any other – um offensive uh or any other coach or any worse of an offensive line this team's going uh less than uh they're going like four and four and twelve <laughs> that was that was a bad roster exactly just uh give me a second i don't know what happened right here i just gotta hit record again sorry folks just had i don't know what happened my like the recording literally just stopped from my on the audio portion for some reason so we're still going back um if anything i'll fix it in post but no, like, yeah, like, I'm looking at a lot of these games, too. Everyone's like, oh, it's like sometimes you got lucky. It's like, we shouldn't have won the Jets game. But you know what? To win this league, you got to win those games that you're not supposed to win. Like, or games where it's like, hey, you're out of it. And then some fortunes go your way. Like in that Jets game, Joe Flacco throwing that play action pass with like six minutes to go, or Zang Gonzalez missing a field goal in the game against the Cardinals. Like, look, just because another team got unlucky, or even to Baltimore with all the messed up snapping in the rain, when everyone's saying, oh, it's New England weather, I'm like, no, 
not just not it's just that's just northeastern weather. It's rain. It's like Baltimore's like right down the road. It's not a big it's not a big difference. Yeah, exactly. They made it seem like oh my god, it's like this big weather thing. I'm like it's it's rain. Like obviously it was horrible, and I would have hated to have been at Gillette Stadium for a game like that. Like just weather wise, but you know what? Sometimes you just lady luck's your friend. Like I went in that Baltimore game thinking like fuck, we're gonna get our asses kicked, and the fact that we won, I was just man, just. I was just out of my, I was just out of my mind. Like I was just like, what the hell did I just watch? Yeah, no one expected them to win that game. And I I had a hard time pegging this team last year. Every week I would give a prediction and I I felt like I was wrong every week, no matter which way I went. Like, oh well they 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 should beat Houston. Houston stinks, and then Houston like steamrolls them, you know? And the Kansas City game, uh even though they lost that game, it was like, oh, Kansas City's gonna kill them. Cam's out with it with COVID, and then you know, if Cam wasn't out with COVID, they probably steamrolled the Chiefs in that game because the Chiefs are horrible. So plenty of situations where things uh, didn't go the way they were expected to go. Exactly. It was one of those, like, you're right. It was one of those things. It didn't go the way it was supposed to go. But you know what? Sometimes you just got to roll the punches. Like even to uh, the Seattle game, like what if they got in on the one yard line or what if I, the one game that I, the only game I think you can say that we were pissed that we lost was the game in Miami because getting eliminated on the playoffs when it's your birthday is not a fun feeling. But also to the Denver Bronco game, the fact that like they got all these nothing but field goals, and yet we couldn't get the touchdown. I'm just like, <sighs> like the only losses that I was really like, look, we got our athlete. Like that's the other thing too. This team only really got their ass kicked three times last year, and that was Buffalo, San Francisco, and LA. Yeah, they that that San Francisco game. I thought they were going to steamroll the 49ers, and then they got steamrolled, but. That I think that was the situation, you know, like when you talk about Cam Newton and, and a lot of the COVID stuff and, and what happened, why did why was he so good weeks one and two and then horrible the rest of the year? I think a lot of it was this whole team was playing behind. Like they weren't on schedule, none of them. There were injuries. There were, you know, Gilmore missed a couple weeks and, and, and Newton missed a week. And so it was almost like every time somebody came back, they were behind. So Belichick was like in week 16 and everybody was else was in week 12 and no one knew what they were doing. So it was, I think that was the main situation. No one was on the same page at all the entire year. Everybody was kind of just doing their own thing. And for a bad roster, when everybody's doing their own thing, they had a pretty good year, like seven, seven and nines in, in Los Angeles. That's, you know, everybody's out in the street partying because they went seven and nine, you know, but Life, life in New England, you, you can't go 7-9 and and expect anybody to be happy about it. No, exactly. Like you said, because the Chargers were 3-9, and nine, and then they decided to win their last four games. And I was like, oh, why they – like, people who don't know football message me saying, well, why did they fire Anthony Lynn? I'm like, because they should have had a better record than 7-9. and nine. There was games – like, they should have beat the Saints. They should have beat the Bucks, but they didn't. Meanwhile, here was 7-9. and nine, um, before, before we get into the meat of it with the defense – what's your best-case, worst-case scenario, like, right now, March 22nd, 2021, for this team – on finishing the season, I'm trying to think of the date, January 2nd, 2021, probably. Or the 9th, depending. Hopefully, I won't be mad if they had a 17th game. Um, I'd say best-case scenario, they're at 13-3, and three, you know, record-wise. I think if they figure out the quarterback situation, or maybe Cam Newton figures it out himself. Like, like no one knows. That, that season was an anomaly. I, I'm, team, I'm not team Cam, per se, but I'm – I'm definitely not team Stidham. Um, I think, I think at their best, Cam Newton's a better quarterback without a doubt. And I think he has a good chance to be at his best this year. So best case scenario, 13 and three, 
that's with all of you know the, those lucky swings going their way, like we talked about with the the Chiefs games and and the the Seattle game, you know, fourth and two or whatever it was. So Buffalo in Buffalo as well. Buffalo, yeah. So thirteen and three, I think, is best case scenario. They they steamroll into the playoffs and they they have a good showing. Worst case scenario is another like seven and nine, eight and eight season where you can't figure out the quarterback situation. Uh, the new signings don't quite work out the way that you expect them to. Um, people aren't happy with their roles and they don't really fit the way they expect to. But I think you know a realistic expectation would be right around the 11, 5, 12, and four. You know that area where they've been. You know for the past twenty years. You, even even the great teams had had off weeks and and they fell behind and you know, some of those Super Bowl teams were 12 and four and 11 and five. So um, I think that's probably the scenario that I would expect them to be in this year, just with all of the talent that they have on defense, they're not going to need to score a lot of points. So like you said, we're going to get the defense so we can get into that. Yeah. Um, because obviously last year that was like, I don't know, I don't know what an anomaly, but a lot of people were saying how bad it was, but I was saying like with the COVID opt-outs and everything, it really affects it. And that includes my favorite member of the new England Patriots coming back number 54 Dante Hightower who I will say this as well, obviously the anniversary is coming up on this Sunday. This happens to be the third month and the 28th day coming up. Um, that, that strip sack in Super Bowl 51 is probably the biggest play of the game. I will live die on that hill saying that, but Dante Hightower coming back, adding Matthew Judon, Devin Gotchow, uh, even like Henry Anderson and um, Mont- Montavious Adams. Montavious Adams. I'm- Montravious, yep. Montravious Adams. But – Man, Kyle Van Noy. I remember my last podcast, I was doing a live stream just reacting to free agency, and someone came on and said, Van Noy resigned New England. And I was just like, this team, and also to Jalen Mills, this team is secretly building a very scary defense. And another note, too, uh, even someone like Dietrich Wise coming back and resigning, I think is a good thing for this team. Yeah, like I went back uh, after the Van Noy signing. Just if you look at week 16 of last year, their starting linebackers were Therese Hall, Jawan Bentley, or not even Jawan Bentley, Josh Uche, who's a rookie, and Freddie Jennings and Adrian Phillips, who doesn't play linebacker. Those are their starting linebackers. And Therese Hall is a practice squad guy. One of them doesn't play linebacker, and the other two are rookies. This year, if if everything goes well, I think the starting four are Matt Judon, who's an all-pro edge rusher, Dante Hightower, who's a perennial pro bowler you know, at his best, Kyle Van Noy, who I think in this system has the chance to be the best out of all of them. He's, he's so good in this system. And then take your pick of Uche on the edge, Winovich on the edge. You know, if you want to have Duggar in the slot, like the, the possibilities on this defense in terms of the versatility and the, the spots that these guys can play are endless. There's, there's, they could go three, four, they can go three, three, five. They can, they can really do whatever they want with this roster. And when Bill Belichick is your head coach and he's the defensive mind that you have, that's the best case scenario where you can kind of do whatever you want. You can mold your defense to fit what you need week to week. Exactly. Like what's one of those things where he can kind of come in now and do like, do just be a puppet master, kind of work with Gerard Mayo, work with uh, Steve Belichick. I'm not going to say Patricia because Patricia's just there as an assistant. Like, yeah, he may give his input and stuff, but I feel like now there's like, no pressure on him to do anything like where it's like, Hey, look, your decision's not going to impact the game. You just, you do you. Cause Patricia was a pretty good defensive line for the Patriots. He kind of helped us win a couple Super Bowls. but even too, like in the secondary now, like obviously with the loss of Patrick trying to retirement, but you can fill in 
like like for like we said, Adrian Phillips, Devin McCourty, Kyle Duggar. We'll see what Stephon Gilmore, uh, Jalen Mill, yeah, Jalen Mills. Like it, the possibilities are endless. Even up front too, I feel like the front seven of this defense is night and day compared to what we saw last year. Yeah, absolutely. But like I talked about the linebackers last year, but the defensive line was not great either. You had Lawrence Guy, but he missed a few games with injury. And then you're rolling out like Nick Thurman, Carl Davis, uh, guys who in a, in a perfect scenario were, would not play, you know, on that team. You're rolling those guys out in the middle. And then you had like Tayshawn Bauer on the outside. You had practice squatters playing in, in meaningful NFL games last year. Like, let's call it what it is. They were their practice squad squad guys. They're not good enough to be on a Patriots football team. They, they really weren't. So this year they, they made the upgrades up front. I think Henry Anderson has a chance to be like the breakout star on this team just because he's so versatile, especially if they do go to a 3-4 base. He yep. he had time playing. He, he's like a 4-3 defensive tackle but or interior defensive lineman, however you want to categorize it. But in, in a 3-4 defense, he can play that like – two tech three tech at worst but if you get him at, at a four tech on the outside opposite of judon type setting that edge like that that's a perfect role for him and and that's that's those are the upgrades the little ones like instead of having john simon set an edge against 400 pound makai becton now you've got henry anderson who's got a little bit of meat on him who who has experience in that role um and it'll make things a lot easier for everybody else. You know, it sets everything up for everybody else. Even to like one signing I really liked was uh, Godshaw out of Miami because I feel like if they, especially like you said, if they are going to play a three-four defense, I feel like his style of uh, defensive lineman is going to work a lot better than Adam Butler. So they do a little swap where Butler's now in South Beach and Godshaw is with us in New England. It's just one of those things like where it's like, look, the endless, there's possible possible the possibilities are endless and. I think I was going to try to say. I lose my wording a lot here. My bad. But um, there's hope. Like last year, I feel like it was like hope, but it was like false hope where it's kind of like, this is going to sound really weird, but it's like when a drug addict kind of gets their high and they're coming off of it where they think the world's all great and good. And then it's like, uh, no, it's not. You're just perceived reality. Meanwhile, with this year, look, there's potential. There's reason to be excited. This defense is better. Like for all we know, the boogeymen are coming back. Yeah. I hate that nickname, by the way. Oh, I did not know that. No, no, no. It's like I just as soon as the boogeyman thing started to take off, the defense just fell off the face of the earth and were horrible in the back half of 2019. So it's it's bad mojo, I think. The, the boogeyman. Gotcha. Um, gotcha. So leave those shirts buried in the yard until the season. Exactly. We'll uh we'll figure something else out this year. We'll call them the goblins or something for for Jalen Mills. But um, you know, and and they're not done building this defense. Like the, the defensive line, I, I still think they've got a couple of moves to make to really make everything make sense. But the draft's coming up, and that's where you build depth because Bill Belichick does not play rookies. He doesn't play them. You know, he's not going to throw them out there for 70 80% of the snaps. They all play situational roles as rookies. You know, we saw it with – I think Duggar – played the most probably on the defense, but like Uche Jennings, they all played situational roles. They, they just rushed the passer passer really. So same with one image in 2019. Exactly. So what you're going to have this year, really, especially on the defensive line, I think they might go ahead and with the out next year with Godchow, they can get out of that contract. I think they're going to use him to mentor a, a real nose tackle type that they draft and kind of develop him. And then next year, I'm getting ahead of myself already, but uh, next year, like really 
immerse themselves into a 3-4 defense. You know, Bill Belichick doesn't just change things like that. He likes to ease himself into it and and give everybody a chance to get acclimated. I think that's what they're doing. So they're, they're going to draft depth guys this year, but the, the whole point of that is to really develop them into specific roles that they'll be playing in the future. So with that note, why haven't we traded our 15th pick for the fourth overall pick in the draft yet to go get Fields or Lance? I'm telling you, I would trade every single pick that they have for the number four pick to, to go get to, I would trade, I would call Miami. I'm being dead serious right now. And I would say, I will give you all of my picks for the third overall pick and give me Justin Fields. That's not going to happen. I'm not a, I'm not a general manager. Obviously there's a reason for that because that's a ridiculous move. I love Justin Fields. But in, in all honesty, if they want to get up to number four, they've got the ammo to do it. Maybe not so much over other teams, but other teams might not want to pay that price that the Patriots would be willing to pay. Give them two firsts. Give them two seconds. Give them Stephon Gilmore. Whatever they want. Go get the number four pick and, and draft your quarterback of the future. I, I am all in on that way of thinking. Do whatever it takes to get your guy if you believe that he's your guy. Because I, I even agree, because I also have another dream scenario where the Jets do not draft a quarterback at two, and then that's when you call Miami at three and say, give me whatever, I'll give you everything, we want Zach Wilson. That's my, like, dreamland, like, once in a lifetime, probably will never happen scenario. We'll see how what Joe Douglas is capable of doing. <laughs> um, but in all honesty, like, would you rather see them, like, draft, like, a Fields or a Lance, like, move up, or would you rather see them maybe use – like stay where they are 46 and maybe get like Kellen Mond, for example. With, with the way that the roster has been built right now, with all these multi-year contracts that they've signed, I think you go up and get a quarterback. That's just my opinion. You know, you, you've got guys locked in for multiple years. You've got Henry for three, Jude, um, John U. Smith for four. I think Aguilar is like really only a two year deal, but Kendrick Bourne, He's sorry, Bourne, but he's two and Bourne is three, but I know because next year it's a little fishy with Aguilar. So, whole yeah, so like really, I wouldn't really count Aguilar as a lock to make the team next year, but Bourne's down there for, for three at least. And then the defense, all those guys signed four year deals, I think, it's, it's, except for Anderson and Godshaw were two, but pretty much every, everybody signed two or four year deals on the defense. So, they're set up well for the future. They've guys, they've got guys under contract. Go up and get your quarterback. Let them sit for a year and then hit the ground running in 2022. Um, but if they do decide to go down, you know, the other route, I think if they do wait, they have to be in love with one of the guys that's going to be there in the middle rounds. They had, it's not don't do a, a Jarrett Stidham scenario where you're like maybe it'll work. That's a I think that has to be a scenario where you've got your Jimmy G, a guy who they loved in 2014. They knew he would be there, so they waited. If you love Kellen Mond and you want to wait to the third round, do it. But I don't love Kellen Mond, so. So you're not Chris Sims. I understand. Um, yeah, thank you for that compliment. No problem. I listen. That's the thing because I do listen at work every day. I do listen to pro football talk, so I got to hear him say his thing. And look, I. I like the show. I like the two of them. It's just sometimes, sometimes the Sims, it's either a home run or it's a strikeout with his, uh, with his predictions. Um, but cause like, it's like, like you said though, I don't want to trust like a Sam Ellinger or an Ian book for like that, because like those guys, Hey, they have potential, but I just don't think they're going to be coming and be like these great quarterbacks. 
Yeah, I think those two, like specifically, those are guys you come in and like, hey, you want to you want to try to play fullback? You want to you want to transfer to a tight end? Like, I I love Sam Ellinger as a college quarterback. I think he was phenomenal. Um, I think Texas severely like under appreciated him and didn't do enough to to put talent around him, you know, in terms of recruiting and everything like that. But that's not an NFL quarterback. That's a Tim Tebow 2.0 waiting to happen. The guy can't throw accurately at the NFL level. Um, and, and Ian Book, I don't think is much better. He's like a, a runaround Johnny Manziel kind of, let me do three circles and then huck it and hope one of my guys catches it. That's That's those guys. But there are guys in the back half that have – you know, real tools to work with, like Davis Mills, who was built, like if you built an NFL quarterback in a factory, it, it would look like Davis Mills, uh, maybe not athletically, but in terms of the look, Kellen Mond is super inconsistent, but he's a proven winner, you know, at the college level and and has all of the tools. Jamie Newman is, if you took any quarterback in the draft and compared them to Cam Newton, it, it it's between New, uh, Newman and Trey Lance. So that's like a bargain bin Trey Lance. So there are guys that will be there. It's just whether or not you're in love with them. If you're not in love with them, if you don't believe they can be your, your future starting quarterback, there's no point in, in drafting them. I don't believe. I believe it's, I heard it. I'm, I'm just trying to remember the quotes because another podcast I listened to is two for one drafts. So I'm trying to remember what they said was you're not supposed to draft like your free agency is for what you want. The draft is for what you need. I try to remember which host said that it may have been because for, uh, former YWC football talk guest, Austin Gale may have said that. Um, I just like to plug that. They used on the show a couple weeks ago, but even to the other quarterbacks, I'm only thinking of was like Felipe Franks, for example, like he looks like he's a development project, but he, lo- he looks like he's like a maybe one to two years of development before you really can trust him as a starter. So if Bill falls in love with Justin Fields or Trey Lance, like you got to make the call. Cause I feel like someone's going to aggressively move up because you already heard the reports Schefter saying there could be six quarterbacks gone before pick 10. Yeah. I, and I, like, I absolutely believe that just because this year more than any other after, you know, with the television deals, things have probably changed a little bit, but with the the cap situation, what it was, you need a cheap quarterback. You, if you really want to win, you know, you need a cheap quarterback. Uh, Tom Brady proved that wrong last year, but whatever you know you you need you need a young cheap guy on a on a rookie deal to to build up the rest of your roster around him to really go for it so i think a lot of people or a lot of teams are of that that way of thinking where if we can go get our guy a guy that we believe can win and with with a good roster go ahead and get him mortgage the future because there is no future if you don't have a quarterback exactly because like even to pat said this before and they're on his podcast where it's you didn't want to go into the draft blind. That's why I wasn't totally mad at the Cam Newton signings. I was like, look, especially too after the five, it was only five million of base salary is his contract. That's not he's making fourteen million, and then on top of that, it's like how the fact that thirty five percent of his contract is his salary. It just made me feel better. But now you can go in. So basically, what I'm trying to get at is, look, if they want to move up, teams can't finesse them. It can't be. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but John Lynch in his first draft did. Peter King followed him for like a day in the life thing. And you see Lynch say all along, we want Solomon Thomas, which t- didn't turn out well, but they knew the bears won in Trubisky and they fleeced them out of three additional picks to move up one spot. So now what I'm trying to get at is bill can move up to where he's not going to worry about getting fucked over by another GM. He can do it just unsuspectingly like Kansas city did in 17, like Buffalo did in 2018. 
I feel like Patriot fans are now confident that, hey, Bill Belichick has the tools to do it and other teams aren't going to see it coming. Yeah, he gave himself a fallback plan. Like, that's that's what the Newton signing was. No one, I don't think anybody expects Newton to be the, like, the guy past this year, but he's a fallback plan. He's, if we can't go up and get our quarterback, at least we got a guy who can keep us competitive, you know, at the very least. I don't know what they, they believe Stidham can be, but they've got him. He's, he's a third year guy. Like they've, they've got a situation to where if they don't get exactly what they want, they're not going to be, they're not going to get screwed over. They've, they've got a a backup plan and a, a plan in place to, maximize the talent that they have on their roster exactly because even too and then if it doesn't work out with cam you can always move up next year to train to get sam howell or keaton slovis uh bo nix is a name i'd like to say but i'm kind of iffy on kind of iffy on bo bo nix is gonna stink i'm calling it now i think he's horrible um just a quick far 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 prediction if you had to pick right now who's number one next year would you probably say rattler or would you say Howell could potentially pick it i think howell i think it's probably going to be in a, a situation kind of like 18 not with the the amount of talent, but to where he the teams the that are – what was that? He has the tools. Yeah, like not so much the tools, but like the team that's probably going to be with the number one pick next year. Like there's no way of knowing. But there, there are a lot of teams who have talent, but they just don't have the quarterback like heading into this year. And I think one of those teams is probably going to end up having the number one pick. So in 18, like that's what the Browns had. They had talent on their roster. They just needed a quarterback. So they went ahead and drafted the guy who they thought was the most ready right away. And that was Mayfield. I don't think there's any arguing that he was, you know, no one knew what Lamar Jackson was going to be. So I I think the Howell comparisons, they look like each other. So people are going to compare them to, to Baker Mayfield. They're very different players, but I think Howell by far is the most, pro ready guy um spencer rattler i think it would be stupid for him to come out next year just because the the game that he plays he's another like scrambler kind of chuck it all over the place you need seasoning as that guy like even kyler murray was a senior when he came out he had four years in college if you come out as a junior that year that extra year of really being the leader of a football team um i think it does wonders for those guys and I think Rattler needs it. He's, he is not like a mature guy. He's not a guy who's going to come in and demand any sort of respect. You know, I just, I, I have this thing in my head where I imagine him walking into the locker room as like a six foot, 180 pounder, like kid. And then a guy like Vince Wilfork walks up to him and is like, who the hell do you think you are? Like, just cause you were the number one pick, you think you're something special. So I think he, he needs some seasoning under his belt. I like Slovis too, though. I, I, I do agree with you on that. And also, too, I retake what I said on the quarterback thing because we all know next year the Patriots are going to draft Chris Olave in the first round. That's right. I was I was so disappointed right. when he did not come out. I was like, I get why he went back because like he wants to win with Ohio State, like unfinished business. Uh, the tight end Rucker made more sense to me just because I think, look, he's only going to build his stock by going back to school. But exactly. Olave, I'm like, he's NFL ready right now. Like he would have been – he, he would have gone in the first round easily this year, but I feel like next year he can more or less, instead of maybe being a teens to 20 pick, he, he could probably be top 10 next year. Yeah, I think I think he has a chance to be the number one receiver next year. My So I am a self-admitted uh, Ohio State bandwagon fan. I'm not from Ohio. I, I don't have any ties to the school, but the first football game I ever – or first college game I ever watched, they beat Wisconsin by like 70 points, and I fell in love with them. Um, and UMass doesn't have a football team, even though they try to tell you they do. It's it's a fake team. So um, 
I'm like, I'm, I'm a guy who follows Ohio state. And I think Chris Olave has like everything to be a, a number one receiver at the next level. Um, he's so damn so good and he's so smooth and everything he does, it looks like he's doing it effortlessly. Um, but next year, if, if he can show that he can kind of elevate the play of a younger quarterback, cause they're not going to have a Justin Fields, they're going to have a sophomore or a freshman out there. If he can elevate the play of somebody else as maybe the number two wide receiver in their room, because Garrett Wilson is very good, like has a chance to be better than Olave. So I think it, it made sense. It just broke my heart because I was convinced the Patriots were going to draft him like late day one, early day two. So it, it was rough, but I love Olave. I think he'll be great at the next level, but give him an extra year of seasoning. You know, it, it can't hurt. It can only help. Exactly. Like, um, and also speaking of Ohio State, there's another uh, name that came to my mind the Patriots could get for running back, and that's Trey Sermon, who will probably go like day, who probably more likely will be a day three pickup. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, sorry. You go on. He's like an early day three guy. I think he has a chance to be the the lightning to somebody's thunder. You know, like a, like a two back room, a, a a system that employs two two running backs on early downs. I think he'll be great in that role because that's kind of what he did at Ohio State. He split snaps with Master Teague, um, and he was kind of like the home run hitter. But he's he's got a chance to be. Some people have him like RB five, RB six, and those guys always seem to work out more than the, the early round picks, you know, like everybody's going to fall in love with Najee Harris and then he's going to be okay for a couple of years, but in five years, who's going to be the number one back. It's going to be a Trey Sermon or a, a Chuba Hubbard or one of those guys. Fellow countryman Chuba Hubbard. I love the mention. Um, before you said that, I was going to switch gears because uh, I, we now, I think I understand why Robert Kraft gave Bill Belichick the reins to spend. And that's because, from 2023 to 2033, which I'll be turning 40 that year, good Lord, um, the NFL is going to be making $110 billion off these brand-new TV contracts. I know some people are – I've seen a few people who are kind of pissed about the Amazon thing, but I honestly think it's the future, and I love the fact that all the networks are getting their streaming services involved. And the biggest dog for that, I think, is, is the fact that Jeff Bezos is going to exclusively have the games on Amazon Prime. But also the fact, too, how involved, much more involved ESPN Plus is going to be with this new TV contract. Yeah, I like I am very excited for it. As somebody who's going to be starting like life soon after college, uh, like bills start to come and it's a hell of a lot cheaper to buy streaming platforms like a, a YouTube TV or an Apple TV to where they have all these different networks to where you don't have to buy the full cable packages. So younger people will be able to watch the games easier. You know, you spend 70 bucks on a streaming platform that has all of these channels instead of however much a cable thing costs nowadays. Cause it, the cable is ridiculous. You know, as younger people, you're a millennial, right? Yeah. I'm 27 years old. Yeah. So I'm, I'm whatever generation is under you, Gen Z or whatever it's called. So we're, we're what they're marketing towards. We're who they need to be watching their games. Cause you know, we're the future of the fan base, really. The the old timers are dying off and they're not watching anymore because, you know, stand for the flag and all that bullshit. So they're, they're catering their audience a little bit younger now, you know, with these television cro- contracts. And it's, it's making it easier for people to watch, which in turn is going to make them more money no matter what. Even if it's cheaper for these people to watch, they're going to have more. So I think it's, it's perfect for the NFL. And Robert Kraft was one of the main guys who, who 
you know, negotiated these contracts and he knows what he's doing. He's a pretty damn good businessman. Exactly. Because that's the other thing in the book too, is that Robert Kraft was responsible for the success of CBS in the NFL too. That's something a little spoiler for all you guys. Cause even now it's like with all the TV things, like I can go and like my phone right here, I can watch the game on my MacBook that I'm recording this podcast on. I can do that. I have my PS4. I do not have a PS5 yet. Um, I can watch the game on that platform. Like it's just so versatile, like where you have all these different ways to watch the game. Now, like you can watch it on the go. You don't have to pay for all that stuff. Cause I don't know Sunday ticket. I think is like $200 for the season or something like that. Like it's something crazy, but then, you get, but then you can get Amazon prime, which you know what? Everyone's like, Oh, prime video. I don't want that. It's like, if you get a prime subscription, you get it free. It's included. It's 10 bucks a month. Like, yeah. Like, for example, like they're still doing it though, where it's like certain games are going to be on there. Like I know Sunday night football, it's going to be, Hey, for every game that's on NBC, a game will be on Peacock, which you know what is smart. Uh, CBS. I think the only thing I was kind of surprised at CBS is that they didn't say anything about Nickelodeon. Cause we all know deep down that that was a lot of fun, but I feel like they'll bring that back at some point. Yeah. Um, the biggest one though is ESPN just because I, they are back in the Super Bowl fold now, not till 2026 where I pray to God I do not have to hear Brian Greasy call that game. Um, yeah, so those of you wondering, I'm not a Brian Greasy guy. I've said that before. If they do Lewis Reddick and Steve Levy in the booth going forward, I'll be happy. I just don't like the three-man booth. I didn't like it in 18. Uh, I liked Booger and Tess last year. I know a lot of people didn't like them. I was a fan, personally. I love Booger. Yeah, but that's the thing, though, with ESPN getting back in the fold and then all this other stuff. It's just, look, the league knows who they're catering towards. You don't, if you cater towards your older fans, you're going to lose that younger demographic. Meanwhile, you cater to the younger fans, you're going to be able to pull in some more people. Yeah, exactly. And it just, the, the whole point of, of, you know, what they were doing was to make it, you know, everybody thinks it's harder because it's new, but it's making everything easier and it's more accessible to more people. So uh, they did a good job with that. And with the Monday night football crew, you don't have to worry about it. Cause by the time they have the Super Bowl, they're going to have like they're going to be on their fifth crew from then because every year they, they change out the crew for some reason. So they can't get it right. Yeah, no, that's that. I, I just didn't like Greasy just because I feel like he was always like when you have like, say if you're at a party where there's like a bunch of friends talking and someone just awkwardly blurt something completely random out. It's just like that. That's what Brian Greasy felt like to me. Like Louis Riddick, I like Steve Levy is probably going to be the busiest man in ESPN now with hockey coming back. Yeah. But, um, that's just how I viewed it with those guys where it's like that. And then also like C- like CBS, I have no gripes. Uh, even though I know some people weren't fond of Charles Davis, but I didn't mind him. Oh, I love Charles Davis. I think he's great. Yeah. I just wish they brought uh, him in. If you can do him with Romo and Madden, I know they're both color guys, but that would just be so much fun. Yeah. The, the, like the, the thing that I want out of my football commentators, cause I don't really need them. You know, people who know football don't, you don't need somebody, a color commentator to tell you what, what happened. But for the people who do, you don't, you don't want a guy who takes himself too seriously. Like, like I feel like Greasy's a guy who takes himself way too seriously. And, you know, Lewis Riddick can poke fun at himself a little bit and, and make jokes. And that's what you got out of Tess and Booger, just guys who are, it, it felt like friends on the couch having a conversation. I loved it. I thought it was great. And penis telestrators. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. It was yeah. wonderful. You just need that. Because, like, even too, like, that's one thing I always look at every Tuesday is, like, I always obviously – I look at the ref reports now for obvious reasons. But then also do I look at who's calling the game? Because, like, I want to know, am I going to be entertained? Like, because when the schedule comes out, you can kind of get a feel of, like, oh, who's going to be where, how many Cowboy games are Joe Buck and Troy going to call because they have to call about 70 a year. Yeah. And then – 
you have, but I look at it too, because even though like there's some guys who are lower on the totem pole, like you want to know who's calling your game. Cause I feel like it just adds to the, not adds to the excitement, but it just adds to like the whole thing. You know, knowing, Hey, I get a team that I like calling my game. Yeah. It was like, like when, when Dan Fouts got taken off of CBS, everybody like went crazy. They were so happy. Cause like, I know New England specifically hates Dan Fouts because he, he very clearly had a bias for some reason. It was, it was weird. But I think the whole world hated Dan Fouts. He was he was not good at his job. Charles Davis came in, did a tremendous job. So now when I see that Ian Eagles calling the game, I'm like, yeah, Ian because Ian Eagles great. He's yeah. I think he's one of the best play by play guys in the game because he'll he can do it all. He does college basketball, NBA, NFL. He's like a Kevin Harlan type, you know, a younger Kevin Harlan. So those guys are great. I think with with the commentators and the groups, it's really just finding a guy with a great voice who knows what he's talking about and somebody who doesn't take themselves too seriously and recipe for success. The one thing about Dan Fouts is I feel like he would find the littlest thing to complain about with Tom Brady. And that's why I didn't like him personally. Cause I feel like if Brady did something wrong, he'd be like, Oh, there's Brady doing that again. But I, I love Ian Eagle. Cause he also has one of my favorite calls of all time with the Patriots, where it was the touchdown to cooks in the game against Houston in 2017. That just like I was, I'll literally randomly go and watch that where he just catches and he does his step. But um, another guy from Fox too, who I like calling football, super underrated, is New York Rangers play-by-play guy Sam Rosen. It was weird. Him, I, I have a weird memory when it comes to this stuff. Him and John Lynch did a Patriots Bears game in 2014. The Patriots like beat them. I think it was like 50 to 20, and it was yeah. those two. And I had such a joy watching it because those because like Sam Rosen made calling the game fun. Yeah. How do you feel about Joe Buck? There are times when I love him. I like, I would say this though, better at baseball than football. Yeah. I, so as I think, I don't understand New England fans who don't like him because he's called literally all of their championships, like all of the Red Sox championships that we, that have calls to, to, to listen to. He's got three Patriots Super Bowls. Like, I don't understand the hate towards Joe Buck. And a lot of people think Joe Buck hates your team. If, if Joe Buck hates everybody's team, he doesn't hate anybody's team. That's just who he is. He's, he's the same guy for everybody. There is one – there's a set of words that live rent-free in my head that he says. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Costa White, he's in. Patriots win the yep. Super Bowl. Brady has his fifth one to come back. That lives in my head rent-free. Like Al Michael saying uh, – the intercept, calling the Malcolm Butler interception. Yep. Malcolm um, Butler. Yeah. Troy Aikman, I'm a little – indifferent on because i feel like he is a bit of a dallas like i feel like if you play for the cowboys you have like a, a biased agenda then like we see it with urban we see it with aikman like well, like the patriot cowboy game last year i'm like okay jesus christ i could never watch another patriot cowboy game with those two my dad's a saints fan and he can't stand joe uh, troy because he feels like he's got like a weird bias against the saints which i, I kind of hear it from time to time um but the other thing too with football that I you gotta like as well is like a good sideline reporter like Aaron Andrews, like Tracy Wolfson's another one. Love um, Tracy Wolfson. I think she's the best in the biz. Yeah, I, that team right there. Like I always, I always, I like Jim. I like Jim and Phil because I always used to hearing like "Hello, friends, Jim Nance." Like I can just hear like Jim Nance is like he's my favorite. He's my favorite play-by-play guy though. For as much yeah. as I like all the other ones, like Jim's at the top. Like him doing March Madness right now, and then he'll be doing the Masters in a few weeks, and then he'll be back at football. Man, you're getting me fired up right now, and i got to thank you for it, man. <laughs> He's the best. I love Jim Nance, too. I With the sideline reporters, too, I feel like they've they've gotten better over time because they used to have, like, 
some guy who like Tony Siragusa out there and he'd just like be shooting the shit with the players. And it's like, yes. all right, are you going to tell us something that we want to know or not? Cause this is wasting my time. And he was like wearing that weird earpiece. He's just down in the field and stuff. Couldn't get it in his ear. He's like holding it the whole time. Like, ugh. yeah. The other guy I don't mind. The one team though I have to say for Fox that I always like better than Buck Aikman was when it was Burkhardt and Lynch. I feel like those yeah. two guys really bounce. That's something too is when they bounce off each other. Well, Burkhart, like Burkhart's great, but what was he doing it with Schlereth this year? Or it was uh, uh, Daryl Johnson, I want to say. Darryl, oh, right. It was Daryl Johnson. Like, I don't like Johnson. What was that? They did the Cardinals game. Yeah. Like, I'm not a huge Daryl Johnson fan. I just don't think he like contributes anything. He just kind of says what happened. And it's like, all right, thanks, dude. Yeah. That's what the co- that's what the play by play man's for. You don't really need to do that. But exactly. Exactly. Um, Moving on quickly, because actually we had a fan question come in earlier. It's just a, it's a from Randy who wanted to ask us both. Question for the both because I also have a guest coming on Wednesday night, Andy McNamara. So he said, I'm going to ask this again on Wednesday night. If you could interview any sports figure, who would it be and why? So I would be lying if it was anybody but Tom Brady because I, I'm, a, I'm a 21-year-old kid from Massachusetts he was literally the starting quarterback when I was two years old and all the way up until last year, you know, he had the biggest impact out of any sports figure on my life than anybody else. But I won't, I won't give that as my only answer because that's a boring answer because of course it's Tom Brady, you know? So sports figure, any sport, can, can I go like outside of football? Yeah, sure. Why not? I think me and Rajon Rondo would have a hell of a time. I think I could, I think I could, I think I could get Rondo to give me some good answers. Uh, specifically, like with those 08, 09, 10 Celtics teams, there were so many huge personalities on those teams. And I feel like Rondo does not care. He will tell every story. So I actually, I did a, uh, it wasn't really a school project. It was like an icebreaker type thing. And it was like, who would you interview from your favorite basketball team and football team, baseball team, whatever. And somebody said Rondo after I had already answered. And I was like, damn, that's a great answer. So I think Rondo's great because Rondo, Rondo would give you some good stuff, I think. So Rajon Rondo is my answer. Um, I was going to say Brady as well, but I'm going to be different and say another answer from you. This is I'm going to say Robert Kraft. Because I feel like he would be like, I feel like if I could have gone with Belichick, I feel like he holds back a bunch. I feel like with Robert Kraft, he would be upfront, honest with you. And I feel like the entire time, I wouldn't even ask a question, I'd just be saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. The entire <laughs> time. And I'd be like, thank you. Where can I get a pair of the, where the pair of shoes you come out with every year? Thank you, thank you. Give me give me some shoes. But um, no, because even to like, I want to go back to that book, because that book's made, that's the one thing too, made me appreciate him and how hard he had to work to get the, t- not even just get the team, get the stadium. And the fact how he worked up, he bought the parking lot and then he eventually... Yep bought the stadium and then there was a whole St. Louis and then the Hartford stuff. Like I feel like his mind would be such a good one to pick. And even too, like he obviously had his really rough years and everything and how he's after Myra passed away. That's, that's one Super Bowl I really wish we could win. Cause I remember saying after the game, I'm like, I wanted that for Myra, but, yeah. um, but even too, like the fact that you can just say something like how you got all this to be. And even how it's, I want to get his reaction when Tom said, well, I'm going to be the best decision you've ever made, which we all know now it was, but just for him to say that, like, what do you feel? Cause like, we all know, and even to, uh, on another note, going to um, the interview with, um, 
with uh, what was I gonna say that he did with Peter King. You see all this stuff where it's like, oh yeah, he treats Tom as a son. It's like everyone's saying, oh my god, he still loves him. It's like, yeah, every Patriot fan knows that. I love how it's like all this news to them is like, oh my god, we can't believe it's like, yeah, we know this. Like, like I can't like I part of me is excited for the Bucks game this year whenever it is on the Sunday night with Al and Chris in the building. Like if I'm going to say this right now, that game is not on NBC. That's a crime unless they want to do it on Monday, but you got to do it on Sunday night. Cause it's just going to get so many views every week. Everyone's going to be going more than the game is, Oh, is Bill going to acknowledge Tom? I'm like, yeah, they're going to acknowledge each other. Everyone's going to be asking, Oh, will they do what they do? And I'm just going to be like, yeah, they're going to, even if it's just like a quick little hug or it's a thing, like those two, like, yeah, they had a falling out and it was a business relationship. But at the end of the day, they created something special that I don't think will ever be re-replicated. Yeah, I have two things on that. If that's not week one, the week one Sunday night game, then they did something wrong. It, nice weather. It, I'm sorry to cut you off. It won't be just because the Bucks have that Thursday night like thing. But you know what? Make an exception. They throw in. They made us wait for Sunday to raise our fucking banner because of the Bears and the Packers. Yeah, I know they have to raise the banner. I know. Figure it out. I don't care that. If, it, if it's not week one or week two, it's got to be nice weather, packed house, or as many fans as you can have, who knows. Yeah. That It's got to be a nice weather game, you know, and it, you got to it's give give them an opportunity, give them a pregame ceremony or whatever they're going to give them. Uh, it, it would be a crime if they don't do that early in the season. And I forgot what my second point was. Oh, on, on Belichick and Kraft, if somebody made you – for Kraft, billions of dollars, and for Belichick, millions of dollars. You're going to love them no matter how badly the relationship ended. Tom Brady made those two men a boatload of money, so they love him forever for that. If there's nothing else that can come from it, they they all made each other a ton of money, and they love each other for it. Exactly. Like I wouldn't be shocked if you heard something like, "Oh, Robert Kraft had Tom at his house for dinner the night before the game," or something like that, or like they like met in private, like at July. Because I don't know where the visiting teams stay when they play in New England, but I assume it's the hotels at the stadium because I doubt they go to Boston. Yeah, it's it's somewhere close. Oh, or even on if it's on the grounds of July, there it's within the vicinity of like a close yeah. drive. Um, yeah, I assume you've been to Gillette before. I have actually never been to Gillette before. I am no. from Toronto, Canada. I've been to one yeah. Patriots game in my life. It was in Buffalo, and the Patriots sadly lost by a field goal at the buzzer. Sad. So if if anybody, I assume people listening to this will know a little bit about Foxborough. Foxborough yeah. is in the middle of nowhere. Like, there's nothing near it. Unless, unless it's Patriot Place, there's nothing near it. So I would imagine the team stay on the grounds, on the hotel that are – that's at Gillette. I would imagine, but who knows? Maybe they stay in like Providence or something, something weird. Yeah, maybe. For all, for all we know, that's what happens. No, but I do, when it's safe to travel again, when the borders do reopen, I I will try my best to be at that box game this year because I would love to be there. I was talking to my girlfriend about that yesterday. She's also a Pats fan. I was saying like, I will break the bank to go to that game, but we'll we'll see how much it is. Like if, how, if I have to sell any organs on top of that. I'll make the sacrifice, damn it. <laughs> I'll, I'll sell whatever I have to sell to go to go to that game. I'm I'm not I'm not a huge in-person football fan. I like I like my TV setup. I like being able to, you know, being able to, to do the same every same thing every week, have a routine. But I, I try to get to one game a year at least. And that I mean, if that's not the game you're going to this year, then you're doing something wrong. Exactly. Like I'll 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 probably have a fallback game if I can't make it to that one, but I'll, I'm going to try to make it if it's not this year because of like COVID restrictions and everything. Because even though I still don't know if they're going to make us quarantine or whatnot, I don't know yet. Because 
we're a little bit behind on the vaccine, but that's another thing for another day. But if I can't make it in 21, I'm going to try to make it in 22. So one of these two years, I want to make it out. I've, or like I've Patrick told me, go check out the hall of fame, spend the Saturday, walk around one Patriot place. Yeah. But I would rather go to a primetime game too, because I would love that. Watch the games all during the day at one o'clock, then watch the four o'clock, and then tailgate from like five to seven or whatever it is, and then go inside. Yeah. It's, it's a hell of an experience. It's, it's uh Especially, you know, when you when you're when you're a fan of the team, like I, I've gone to games where I have no rooting interest, and it's like, yeah, this is fine. But when you're a fan of the team and you're with your people at a home game of your your favorite teams, it's something different, man. It, it's great. I, I I I'm sure you've you've had that with the Raptors and and the Blue Jays and the the Leafs. Leafs are the one I've never been to a playoff game for them because obviously there haven't been a lot. But I was lucky to go to Game One of the NBA Finals when they played Golden State. That's awesome. I paid a hefty price to get inside, but it was worth every penny. And the OVO shirt I got, um, I got to see, and I know this is going to be super random, but I saw Toronto FC win MLS Cup in 2017 at DMO Field here. That was once in a lifetime. I've seen Canada win the World Junior Gold, but, man, I just want to see a game in Foxborough. That's still, that's not my sports bucket list right now. That, I'd love to get to a Super Bowl eventually, but, like, that's eventually, eventually. Yeah, I've got a question for you. I know this is your podcast. But you've been to WrestleMania's. Four. I've so like I was a huge wrestling fan when I was younger. I fell out a little bit, just like with school and everything like that. It's like who has the time? They've got nine shows a week, it feels like on yeah. every network imaginable. I feel like WrestleMania is that's one you want to go to, even if you're not a wrestling fan. Exactly. I went to 28 in Miami, 32 in Dallas, 33 in Orlando, and then 34 in New Orleans. Um, I'm actually sitting on a pay-per-view chair that I got from SummerSlam in Toronto in 2019 right now. But um, no, there's there's just something special about it. Honestly, yeah. it, it's a once in a lifetime thing. Like you get to the stadium, and it's it's like what you said. Like you're with your people. Like when you're in a town for WrestleMania, you're with your people. Like you see them everywhere. Like you get to the stadium, everyone's loud. Everyone's there to have a good time. It's just a great overall experience. Like it's the one thing I would say for any wrestling fan you got to try to get to one. Like I was planning uh, before COVID hit, like that's about a month or two before that. Actually with where you first saw me from noted Lorenzo brother, viewer Keegan, the three of us and uh, another guy were planning on going to LA for 37 this year, but those plans got nixed quickly, obviously with COVID and everything. Yeah. But um, no, that's the, that's the thing too. Like wrestling's brought me all those friends and stuff. And now there a lot of the people who, I do this podcast with are people who I've met on WrestleMania trips and doing, I also do, I started off with YouTube wrestling, but I don't do as much of that anymore. I do like, I'll come around for the big pay-per-views for like reaction videos and whatnot. But for the most part, it's football and you it's WrestleMania is an event. Every wrestling fan should experience at least once. Yeah. I've always like, I probably I'm trying to think of when I fell out of wrestling, probably like 2016, 2017, when I like just stopped watching weekly and even every year I watch the Royal Rumble, every year I watch WrestleMania, and I'm always like, damn, I should I should go. I should figure this out and go. I gotta find I gotta find a my nephew who is eight loves wrestling. So it would be fun to take him, but i I gotta find an adult to go with. Exactly. Cause that's one thing too, though. The only thing I'll say is, and I've said this before, those trips are not cheap. That's the only yeah. conduit. The wrestle WrestleMania trips are not cheap. Yeah, it feels like the city knows, so everything gets hiked up, all the prices. The city knows everybody's going to come no matter what. 
it's not so much that it's just the fact too like you have your hotel your flights and then the tickets to the show like tickets to wrestlemania like tickets to like the raw and like nxt and stuff those are fairly cheap it's wrestlemania what really gets you on the uh ticket on the price of tickets that's all yeah yeah but you could you can still do a trip that's like cheap like you can still do it cheap you can do it every way you want but like usually i usually spend most save most of my money to go on those kind of trips yeah yeah and now i'm starting to do that for football like what i would love to do is like go to like to not go to the actual super bowl but go to the city that it's in like next year's in la like i'd love to be in la for it go to like the whole experience thing they have there and then either rent an airbnb or like find a bar to watch the game at like i want to tell you one thing i would love to do Super Bowl 59, 2025 is in New Orleans. I would love to do that and then just watch the game on Bourbon Street and just get hammered and have a great time. New Orleans is the greatest city in America. I'll say it 10 I, times. I I lived in Texas for a while, like throughout high school, my first couple of years of college, and I moved back to Massachusetts where I'm from. And we, we did a road trip. We just packed up my car with all my stuff and my sister, my cousin, and my girlfriend. We went on a road trip and just stopped in big cities. And New Orleans, without a doubt, was the best night of my life. Bourbon Street, phenomenal. It was so fun. Yeah, like Bourbon. That's the one thing too with the when WrestleMania was there. Like, imagine Bourbon Street, but it's all wrestling fans. Like, it's just drunk it's wrestling. Fans it's it's Dude, the best. Yeah, like that. Like I, 2019. Like I said before, my dad and my sister are diehard Saint fans. 2019, I got to go to a, the full, my family. We went to a Saints game. That atmosphere is something. Something yes. else. Like that's super dope. Like when they say it's loud in there it's loud yeah yeah but um i'm just trying to see what other bases we could cover i think we covered oh um yeah that's one other thing i was going to say before we wrapped up the nfl announced today drafts back on as much fun as last year's was with virtual i gotta say as long as they do this whole in-person draft safely with fans and no one and there's not like not no one gets it but there's no major outbreaks i feel like it'll be a success for the nfl yeah, they like they did a good job with the Super Bowl. You know, we're we're far enough out to where we know that like it didn't it wasn't a complete shit show. Like yeah. <laughs> not everybody got it, you know. So uh they did a good job and I, I saw that the the premise was everybody who attends is a vaccinated healthcare worker or just somebody who's been vaccinated. So the they'll have a way to do it safely, but there's there's nothing there's nothing quite like draft night. I'm a draft weirdo. I, I like to call people who like the draft draft weirdos because you've got to be a special kind of person to, to love the draft. So uh, draft weirdos all, you know, they're all each other's people yeah. all together acting crazy. You know, Jets fans booing. If, if they draft, you know, Trevor Lawrence at number two, they'll still boo it. Like it's great. And, and having without fans and without having a real, you know, stage, for them to do it. It, it wasn't the same last year. I'll, I'll be honest though. I was, I'm just such a sports junkie that I loved it and watched all like I like for day two and day three, like I'll always watch day one, but day two and day three, like I either watch a bit of it or keep up with it and just try to see the Patriots pick. I'm slowly becoming a draft weirdo. I don't know if I'll ever get to that point. Like you spags are where you guys analyze the shit out of everyone. I'll use PFF mock simulator and follow the Pat Lane rule where I now trade for Justin Fields draft Amari Rogers. I got to get it out there for every Pats fan. But you know what? The fact that my girlfriend announced, she's like, Oh yeah, that weekend I'm, she's got a bachelorette. I was like, all right, cool. That's the draft weekend. I'll be at home watching that. Yeah. yeah I, so. I, uh, like the, the good thing about last year was there was no FOMO. It was no like, Oh man, I wish I was there, you know? Yeah. Cause like every, every year before that, I'm like, it would be when it was in Tennessee. I'm like, damn, I should have went, you know, I was, I was still pretty young, but 
I could have had some fun in Tennessee on draft weekend, you know? So, um, and last year it was supposed to be in Vegas and it, I was planning on going because I'd never been to Vegas before. And I was just about to turn 21. And I was like, yeah. And then COVID hit. I was like, damn, you know, it ruined everything. And now it's in Cleveland. Like no one wants to go to Cleveland. So I, I feel like the Browns fans and the Cleveland faithful are going to have a chance to show off their city though. Like I feel like for them locally, it's a great thing, but for the rest of the NFL, it's kind of oh. looked at as like, yeah, you know what? It's cool, but it's nothing special. Kind of like when it goes to the Kansas City in, I believe, 23. Yeah, it's like, oh, Kansas City, Missouri. Woo! Like, what is there to do here? Exactly. Like, I would – that's the other thing, too, next year I was thinking about was, for as much as I said, I would love to go to, like, just a city for a Super Bowl. I could skip out going to, like, the L.A. Super Bowl for all that because I would love to go to Vegas for the 2022 draft because my girlfriend and I even thought about it potentially – Go before COVID hit, going to Vegas for the 2020 draft just to be there and everything. Watch the players go in the Bellagio fountain. Yeah. The red carpet stuff. Like it would have been so much fun. And even too, like, like I said, we'll have to see where the world is. Hopefully we're all back to good by then. But if I'm being positive right now, I feel like most stadiums will be not, I don't know about full capacity unless you're the Dallas Cowboys, but I have a good feeling that there'll be a lot. Every stadium will have fans in 2021. Yeah. I like I think New England is probably the one of the most conservative other than like uh, San Francisco, probably in terms of like limiting fans and being safe and making sure everybody's doing the, the right thing. And if, if New England's letting fans in, if San Francisco's doing it, then I don't see why everybody else wouldn't do it. Like, like, you know, damn well, Texas stadium or whatever it's called now, AT&T stadium is going to be filled to the brim week one, just because Texans are crazy. I can say that I lived there. They're, they're nuts. Houston, they're all like that organization is a shit show. So they're probably going to have a full stadium, you know? So exactly. That's it. That's the other thing too. Like I've heard about, I wanted to find a way to speak about that situation that's going on right now, but all I'm going to say is I'm just going to let it play out by itself. But man, I don't, have you ever seen breaking bad? Yes. I've seen it like four times. I love that show. The lawyer guy who's representing those women, just some, for some reason reminds me of Saul Goodman. Yeah. Like, it's 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 such a hard situation to to really speak on at all if you're not a part like a part of it like i i am very much a believer of you believe a victim before anything else and you give them every opportunity to to speak on whatever happened to them like i i believe that very much the all eyes and ears should be on them first and then you give whoever the opportunity to to prove their innocence or whatever it may be. But, you know, at, at this point in time, like with, with what we do know, there's, there's no reason not to fully, you know, accept what these women are telling us and, and, and believe them for, for what it's worth and kind of letting the whole situation play out legally because giving, like I saw, um, I think it was Roddy White say something like these women will do anything for money, something like that. Like, you're not adding anything. You're just an asshole. If, if you're, yeah. you're, if you're talking like that. So, you know, give, give these women every reason to feel comfortable and, and speak on whatever truth happened to them and then go from there and let the legal process pay out, play out before you say anything. Cause you're just going to end up sounding like an asshole. So Exactly. That's the thing. Cause I, I was talking to my girlfriend about this and I was told her, I'm like, I wanted to say something, but I didn't cause I didn't want to say the right thing. And that's what I'm just saying. It's like, look, you're going to believe for the victims. You hope that nothing bad did come out of this for either side or that no one did this with like bad intentions, trying to screw someone over or something like that. But at the same time too, I'm just going to, I just want those things. I just want to keep my mouth shut about it. Cause like, look, I had nothing to do with it. I'm just a guy on a mic 
who comes mm-hmm. on to Zoom, Skype, StreamYard, or c- records in GarageBand and loves to talk about football. And I'm not a part of the legal system. I have no experience in it. I only made the comparison to Saul Goodman because if you go on the guy's profile, he's like super Texan, rich guy, ma- big MAGA supporter from what I've heard. With without a doubt, he's like the the attorney's an asshole. Like you yeah. can be an asshole and represent people who are telling the truth. That's like there, there's no issue in, in calling a spade a spade. That guy's slimy, yeah. like no doubt about it. But in a situation with this kind of you know whatever like whatever comes of this is going to be bad for somebody, you know. So in a situation like that, they, you've got to take the safe approach and, and believe, you know, the victims and everything like that. But I mean, there's no doubt about that specific at- attorney and, and everything that you can read about him. He's a, he's, he's not uh, a likable That's person. I would say like, he's yeah. not likable. Yeah, exactly. Like even to, I saw stuff of, like I said before, he had like a tank on his front lawn and then even to the NFL sent him a confidential letter and he posted it on Instagram. It's like, there are certain things you can't do. Like even today, Mike Florio, who's a noted lawyer said that apparently he had a lot of weird tells, like where he was like bumbling with the guy, the owner's name, Cal McNair. He's like, is it Cal? Is it Hal? Like he thinks that there's certain things that he was doing that kind of like misread it. But at the same time too, it's like we said, we'll let the system play out and, and hope for that. You know what? When one way or another that there's justice. Yeah. You, you want the right thing to happen no matter what the right thing is. So you just, you wait and see. And then, even for me, I'm a believer in if it has nothing to do with you, keep your mouth shut. You don't, you don't get to have an opinion if it, but for me, you know, like it, yeah. none, none of this has anything to do with me whatsoever. Even as a person who follows the Patriots and likes to write about them and stuff like that. It, and Deshaun Watson's a, a potential Patriots. Like I have nothing to do with it. So I'm not going to give my opinion because to be honest, nobody cares about my opinion, you know, like exactly. Yeah, in situations like that, no one cares about anybody's opinion but them, their own. So why don't we all just keep it to ourselves? Unless you're John McClain at the Houston Chronicle. Right. <laughs> I, I only say that because he's the voice of like Texas football. He's been covering, he's been writing about it for like 40 plus years. It's kind of yeah. like. He's phenomenal. He's like, he was like the original Oilers beat yeah, writer. Exactly. Like there's, if you're looking for like who's Teflon for football writers, it's like him, Peter King. And then a handful, basically anyone who's on that pro football hall of fame selection committee. Yeah. Those are like the people you truly believe. Like when, like when Peter King talks, I listen. Right. By the way, noted. Uh, that's another person I was about to say, if I were to interview a, a personality from sports, he would be one. I would love to sit down and talk with. He just seems like a kind of a guy. I think he knows where all the bodies are buried. <laughs> like he, he knows everything and he, he won't tell, but he knows everything. Yeah, there's, like, stuff that he knows that, like, he doesn't tell. But, like, I would love to reach out to him and get him on the show, but I know that's a one in a million chance of happening. Yeah, like, he – I don't think he, he wants to do his own show. <laughs> but, yeah. You know. Like, he fills in for Mike – he fills in for Chris Sims because Chris Sims doesn't like the work Fridays and stuff like that. That shows how much yeah. pro football talk I listen to. And, by the way, I don't think everything they say is gospel. It's just what I like to listen to at work as a podcast. We all have our, our weird things. Like I, I used to listen to Boston sports radio, which is the plague. Like that's the worst thing to listen to if you're a Boston sports fan. And I used to do it. And then I would find myself like being angry all the time. And it's like, oh, it's probably because I listen to Mike Felger. Just tell me that I'm an asshole for rooting for the, the Celtics. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I've, like I've, I've, that's all I've heard about Boston radio is just that like it's a lot of bad and like a lot like that was where a lot of the bad takes were coming from was that Felger and Naz show when Camry signed. Like, 
I think it was a producer who said, oh, we could be a winless team this year. They they hire people who, like, hate Boston, and then all the people who are from Boston that are on the shows mold their personalities around that person. Like, Felger is from uh, Wisconsin. He's, like, a Green Bay Packers fan and a, and a Bucks fan. So he doesn't like New England teams, and he's, like, open and honest about it. But then the rest of the puppets around him, like – mold their personalities around him and just try to be him so it's the worst it's like six of the same guy just talking and yelling at each other it's awful oh, jesus christ that just that just sounds like a bad time that's why that's why I, like when it comes to boston, my fix for boston sports i'll listen to i guess i'm going to call them a boston podcast because most of them are bruins fans but spit and checklets um pat's nation podcast anything like pat's pulpit related that's where i get my boston news from like, I do follow all the Patriot beat writers like Evan Lazar, Doug Kayad, uh, Henry McKenna is a new one I started following. Like, guys like that, like, because, like, look, they're going to tell it like it is, and they're going to speak the truth. Uh, ben Valen's another one, Tom Curran, basically, like, the guys you want to see. Because even, too, you – like, I know – like, going back to that book, it shows how quick they were to expose the Patriots about certain things, like, or how quickly they are to jump and turn. I believe yeah, they Shaughnessy. The, Shaughnessy's an asshole, too. But they, yeah. they, they, they know what their job is, and they do it, which yeah. is – like, that's all you can ask. Whether or not you like what they're doing, they're doing their job. So you can't really blame them for that. They might do it a little bit differently than you do it, but they, they got to that point, so they get to do that, you know? Exactly. Um, well, anyway, guys, I think that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. We talked about a lot. Keegan, it was great to have you. Hopefully you'd like to come back on soon. You're uh, more than welcome to. I'll reach out to you. But yeah, um, anyway, I'm going to give let give you this opportunity to plug yourself where can people find your work and where can people follow you on social media um i'm a twitter guy twitter only at keegan stiefel it is you can probably see it right here i don't know if it's recording but right there uh keegan stiefel k-e-a-g-a-n-s-t-i-e-f-e-l um on twitter it's, it's hard to spell but you can find me under the pat's pulpit umbrella i do a lot of stuff for them um writing i i'm a guest on a lot of podcasts i have a weekly show with uh, ryan spagnoli and ryan kieran where we talk all stuff draft um do all that stuff i'm still a student so it's it's here and there but it's what i like to do and then one day nesson's gonna hire me and it's gonna be great that's for sure well anyway guys thank you very much for listening to today's ywc football talk it's like you said also i was saying it's stifle but it's stifle that's great to know for me going forward but I'm just going to go back to my outro. That's all it for today's episode. This is episode 76 of YWC Football Talk, guys. Have a great day. And if you're a Patriots fan, we got a lot to look forward to, baby. Do, did, will. The Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast, NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. 
On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, SayTheDamnScore.com.